Welcome to Market Proof Marketing, the podcast from the industry leaders at Do You Convert, where we talk about the current and future state of marketing and online sales for builders and developers across the globe. We're not here to sell you, we're here to help you and to try and elevate the conversation. Is there a topic you'd like us to cover or a question you'd like us to answer? We'll do it. Simply send an email to show at doyouconvert.com. Carol, thanks so much for coming on the show. Let's dive right into the origin story, actually. Not, not your origin story. That's going to be part, part two. Origin story number one, I, I like letting people know how I've come to get to know people. Oh. Um, and, and I actually don't remember how we met. You know, that's a really good question. I, I don't, but I do remember the, the important part is that, that Carol was the first one to nominate me at her local SMC in Atlanta, a small little organization. I'm, I'm <laughs> using air quotes of a, a bajillion members, one of the largest SMCs in the country and most active. And she nominated me to be a speaker. And so I, I'll never forget when the person who was in charge of, of booking me, their question after basically making sure I wasn't crazy was what is your speaking fee? And I was like, speaking, oh. speaking, speaking <laughs> fee. You, I, I've never gotten paid to speak before, and so I just picked a nice round number, which was a thousand dollars. It seemed right. like a lot of money to me to give a to give you know a 30, 45 minute talk. But then I booked my flights from Pittsburgh to Atlanta. Uh, I was with Heartland Homes at the time, and then my boss was like, "Hey, Kevin, I need you to be in Raleigh on the same." week that I was going to speak. And so I had to go back and cancel my ticket from Pittsburgh oh to gosh. Atlanta, pay the rebooking fee, switch it from Raleigh to Atlanta. And there was only one flight that would work and there was like two seats left. And so I ended up losing money on my speaking fee. <laughs> wow. <laughs> but it was still, you know, I, I didn't I, know I, that part of the story. Carol is partially responsible for launching all of the craziness uh, that comes from the marketing side of Do You Convert? So Thank you for that. You're Always. welcome. You, you I didn't a know that that place. was all my fault. <laughs> yeah, it is all your fault. It is all your fault. Well, but now your origin story. You've been in marketing, advertising, PR for a long time, and and how long in home building in the home building space Golly, specifically? I have been in the home building space since 1998. Wow. So. Wow. A long time, a yeah. long time. And you, you roll back to 1998 and, you know, yeah, we had email, but just barely. Right. Oh, and yeah. I mean, you think about how long I, I look back at my early career and just laugh. You know, we used to print and mail stuff to reporters. Can you imagine? I mean, we might get their attention doing it today, but, you know, they want you to email it so they can, and, and as, you know, a Word document so they can I slice it like and dice it. I feel like they would like you to write the article for them, give them the authority to just change a couple words. Well, it depends on the reporter, them, right? but yes, absolutely. Uh, in 1998, just so everyone knows, I was in the process of, of getting a D in honors pre-calculus in high school. Uh-oh. And then I retook it as a senior, and I think I got a C, but I didn't care anymore at that point. <laughs> The only D I ever got in my life was honors pre-cal as a junior. Bad idea. Still, still proof that I need Excel is the only thing that keeps me being able to process math well. Like, not 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 my friend. So you've been a long time, and one of the few people who really rode through the entire journey of the Great Recession. You know, it's, I, every time I speak in front of a group of people, I have to know how long have you been in this business, and if it's less than twelve years, twelve years or less. It, you haven't really experienced anything other than a trending up market. Uh, so real quick, any, any like 
And we didn't prep at all for this. <laughs> so I'll give you a minute to think about it if you need to. Okay. What would be like your top thing you learned uh, from that? I feel like, the, I feel like the, Golly. those of us who went through that process deserve to the next generation to sound kind of cheesy of like, you here's know, something to take away. I think one big takeaway, and I think this is something that lots of companies look at now, but you know, you've got to, you know, you'll say follow the money, but you've got to look at where your cash on hand, because mm. when markets change that much, you're really only as good as what's coming in. So yeah, yeah I guess we were fortunate. We were always, uh, I've always worked on a cash basis. So I mean, the downturn still was awful. I went from a staff of, I think there were eight or nine of us down to three, including myself. Wow. So it was, it was brutal, but we made it through it. And, uh, I think that's why so many of us who made it through the great recession, when COVID broke out, you, we all just held our breath because we mm -hmm. weren't sure what to expect. Exactly. So, exactly. Yeah. Awesome. So denim marketing, you guys are a full service agency doing, well, maybe it's easier to say what you don't, what, what do you yeah, not? It's probably easier to say <laughs> what we don't do. Cause there are, you know, so full service, eh, we don't build websites. We don't do SEO. We don't do any pay-per-click. Those are probably our three biggest don't do's. There's probably mm -hmm. a few other things, but yeah, we don't yeah. do any of that. But anything else related to, to marketing, advertising, branding, public relations, your team is there to help. But what right. the, the main, not, not the main thing, the first thing that I selfishly wanted to expose everyone to, and gosh, I, I know I dropped your name in the first 10 episodes and it's just taken this long <laughs> uh, to, to make this happen. Most, I mean, hundred percent on our fault. PR is, is I feel like a lost art and I don't know if it's a lost art because it's not as necessary or, or if it's just kind of like land developers, there's not very many young land developers in, in our business versus those who are slowly dying out. Uh, so I wanted to have you come on and just, you're such a wealth of knowledge, particularly around that topic and just help people understand kind of the basics of, of first of all, just defining what, what, what does it mean today? Uh, yeah, well, it, relations, it can I mean a lot of, yeah, it can mean a lot of things today, but you know, when we talk PR at Denim Marketing, we're still talking traditional media relations, which you're absolutely right. I think that there are not a lot of people doing it today. Um, and I think it's because it's a, it's a learning curve. You know, they don't really teach it in school. They may teach you how to write. Maybe they'll teach you, you know, AP style, which is what the Associated Press edits to. But, you know, they don't always teach you what reporters want or about creating that relationship with a reporter because at the end of the day, you know, it's no different than selling a house. It's really about the relationship. It's like, who can you pick up the call, you know, phone and call and get to place your story? Yeah. So it's a, it's a sales process to get earned media uh, is, is right. the term, right? It, yep. And so, so what are the things again, that maybe people would, would think, I mean, why is this hard? other than human beings being hard to get a hold of? You know, I think human beings are hard to get a hold of. You've got to establish trust. I mean, fortunately or unfortunately, people think everything's news, right? So, you know, for the most part, you opening your new model home is not news, but maybe, you know, maybe you pitched it to a reporter and then they're like, oh, well, I don't want to, you know, if you pitch it to a hard news reporter or an economy reporter, they're going to be like, oh, you know, I cover housing, but not from that beat. So it's all about making sure the right pitch goes to the right person. And it's time consuming. I mean, that's probably the hardest part of it. And then just understanding, okay, you know, I'm writing this story, but if I put a trend spin on my pitch to the reporter, 
then they're going to be more likely to read it and open it and use it. So it's really about understanding what's going on in the world and how it's relevant to that reporter. And I, I just think that it's hard for people to put their selves in the shoes of the person writing the articles. Yeah, I, I've never been a f- fan of when people, I've had some people say, well, PR, it's overpriced for what you're, what you're asking the, the organization to help you with. Like, no, no, because you're paying because of your lack of patience. Like, you, yes, you could get this done if you wanted to spend years creating that network and understanding right. how trends work into what reporters are trying to do, et cetera. But you, by definition, I mean, anything we're impatient and want to have happen faster. I'll never forget, I think I paid like a $500 service fee to have a plumber fix something in our old house because I had not taken care of it for two years. And my wife was like, it's going to happen this week. Right, Kevin? <laughs> yes. So I, I paid that premium. Because I remember I had given a quick interview for some something for Builder Magazine or Pro Builder back in 2006. And then in 2007, out of the blue, the Professional Brick Association or the Brick Association mm-hmm. of America calls me up and says, hey, we referred to you by this journalist from Builder Magazine or Pro Builder, and we'd like you to be on a panel at the National Brick Convention about consumer trends. And I had been in the home, I, I just started in 03, this is 06, 07. I know nothing about construction at this point. <laughs> I've just been focused on getting newspaper ads and, and flyers out, out, mm-hmm. out the door. But it was that network and that trust that had been built that you know I could I could communicate. I, I still not, I'm not sure how that happened other than it was just having that, that network right. established. So anytime you're going to shortcut, it's going to be more expensive. Absolutely. Well, in your career, what was the most exciting, I guess is the word I want to use, exciting or impactful PR result that you were able to help a builder achieve? Golly, it varies for different builders or developers. I've had a lot of fun this year and it's been very impactful. I guess this year and last year working for a build for rent, you know, builder developer here mm. in the Atlanta market and have scored some really cool national press for that company. You know, some trend stories, some interviews here in the local Atlanta Journal-Constitution, but, you know, multi-housing news was a, was a great score for that client as well as um, Builder Online. So, because this, you know, they're trying to get their development stories out there in front of them. They develop in addition to doing their own build for rent. So, so that's been fun. Yeah. There was a period of time where Builder magazines, I forget what they call it, but they're, they're weekly or sometimes two or three times a week email flash that they send out. I got a rash of five or six builders in one month who are all like, how do I get on there? And I look at mm-hmm. it and it's, it's pretty clear that it's aggregate. Like there's some stories yeah. from Builder Magazine, but then it's also aggregating from different feeds and et cetera. And I was, and, and they were, who, who do I need to work with mm-hmm. and how do I get on that feed? And, and when you look at about why it, in that instance, it was just about wanting to appear relevant within the marketplace. Like, right. No one thinking about buying a home was getting that email. And it's just, they wanted to be able to publicly celebrate what was happening in their organization for recruiting purposes or mm-hmm. trying to make new connections. It just, it, it was interesting. Now, the one thing I wonder might be a bigger opportunity than it used to be, Carol, is let's say that you were interviewed in the Wall Street Journal or mm-hmm. some major publication it seems like there's an opportunity to take that um, interaction, that earned media, and spin it using uh, digital and social in particular 
to make that last a lot longer. Oh. Like, you, you know, we used to have reprints. For, right. Yeah, for the kids listening, anymore. there used to be this thing called reprints where you would <laughs> order printed copies of your earned media to leave in your sales centers mm-hmm. as part of, of what walk-in traffic would collect right. as they went from model to model. You know, the hardest thing about that is, you know, yeah, you want that to have a shelf life and you want to share it, but you end up with, you know, the Wall Street Journal specifically is behind a paywall. So Mm. if you share your story to the Wall Street Journal and somebody doesn't have a subscription, they can't read it anyway. So there are still, you know, things you have to do and, you know, ways to work around that in some cases. But um, it's always nice if the pub is not behind a paywall because then it makes it easier to share the link to their publication and get them some good, you know, PR too, really. Yep. Yep. Awesome. Well, let's shift away from, from PR then for a little bit and just talk about what your, your, your builders are seeing as, as opportunities and challenges and what you've, cause in the market shifting so quickly, I I'm getting ready to pack up and head to the builder 100 conference and, and give a talk there. And because of the nature of the conference, I've had to pre-plan quite heavily what I'm going to be talking about, but, but even like our event in September, it's almost feels wasteful to spend time th- now in April thinking, what are the builders going to need to hear about in September? <laughs> right. Well, it's the same thing with, you know, the IBS just put out the request for proposal. Oh, they're yeah. not due till May, what? but I'm like, we're supposed to figure out what we're talking about next January, February, or, you know, right. now. Right. And that's always a challenge, right? It was always like, okay, well, let's guess what might be hot next year. Yeah. Uh, you know, and you look at all the, the, the crazy, but fun stuff happening in the news. I mean, whoever thought that Elon Musk would buy Twitter, you know, I'm watching that and, you know, very fascinated to see what all happens there, but right. That'll be interesting. Yeah. As far as our builder clients, you know, it's still the struggle with supply chain issues. It's still the struggle of there's more demand than there are homes. So, you know, I guess there's kind of two things we're working on right now a lot. One is, you know, what do we do with that person who, you know, has signed a contract or signed up on our waiting list when we don't have anything yet for them? You know, how do we keep them engaged? How do we keep them you know, focused on that end goal. And so, you know, for the, the, the builders, and we don't have a whole lot of them who are doing pre-sale still. You're probably seeing that as well. Most of them yeah, are pricing until sheetrock. It, the reason why is fascinating to me. I don't want to get distracted too far off. But <laughs> on the one hand, from the consumer's point of view, what is the benefit of signing a contract on a pre-sale when the house isn't going to start for an unknown period of time? Right. It's not going to be completed for an even longer period of time. What that final price, depending on how the contract is written, may not be fine, firm and final. And what is your interest rate going to be? Will the world end before you get, you know, there's just so much uncertainty. Right. Consumers at the current price point levels we're at are saying, I'm not getting any certainty. It doesn't feel like I'm getting any certainty by signing. Whereas at the beginning of the pandemic, it was it was a rush to sign pre-sale or inventory because right. there was certainty that the home would be before supply chain put everything sideways. So I think a lot of builders um, who originally were risk averse and said, I don't want to build a lot of inventory really are finding that they don't have much of a choice because inventory will still sell, completed inventory will still sell at any price that's listed. Right. But getting pre-sales is a harder, harder thing. And it's kind of funny. Some of the builders we work with who did all pre-sales before, who are doing mostly inventory homes now are finding they like it better because they don't have, you know, they don't have all those options and they get to pick what goes into the house and price it. They don't Uh have to figure out and make every single house completely different. So that's, you know, maybe one of the upsides, but you know, what do you do with 
those 200 people on the waiting list for the 30 homes or five homes that you're about to bring on the market. We're working through that a lot and seeing more and more, you know, closed bids, sealed bids, highest and best. It's funny how things swing back and forth because we had a call with a builder in a Southeastern market and they had done the research that in their local MLS, I want to say at all price points in the MLS covered over one County in size of a market everyone would know it wasn't you know like springfield ohio it was uh-huh. it was a it was a major town there was fewer than um 50 or 80 homes at all price points wow and so the what the swing that i'm describing is there was a point where as home builders we said we need to make sure we set proper expectations because we want and and this builder had swung so far to the other end of okay there's nothing available i'm releasing eight homes the question that they kind of asked without saying the right words is how do I create the maximum amount of hysteria possible to make sure <laughs> we get highest and best? Right. And I, and we just had the conversation of, do we, do we need to create historic hysteria? Like it's still going to, still going to sell it. And they're like, no, because there's, there's absolutely nothing available right now. Right. And that is a, such an interesting dynamic. I, we can talk, certainly I'll talk all day about pre-sale without fail and how that's changed, but I want to start first with that delay factor because uh, we do have a lot of, especially on your lot builders who mm-hmm. they are 10, 12 months out from the start of construction right. if you sign today. And how do we keep those folks involved? And um, I'll share some ideas. You can share some ideas. But the, the one thing I'm I'm kind of fascinated with is the concept of um, kits that arrive in cardboard boxes, meaning, um, and this started about in COVID of, you know, a lot of companies do a dig ceremony or something like Mm -hmm. that. Well, you can, you can do a dig ceremony in a box and give test tubes and little, you know, a little plastic shovel and, uh, maybe some things they can, um, hold up next to, next to the kids for social posts or whatever, but let, let the family do their own dig ceremony on their own timetable. Right, and it doesn't have to be when the actual bulldozer arrives on the scene. You can, you can create that process at any time. And just the concept of these, it kind of exploded, and and now we're finding out that that maybe it's it's not as popular as as we all thought it would be. Mm. Of the food in a box, and uh-huh. here's all your clothes in a box. But how, <laughs> how can we create these 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 boxes that arrive at different stages to allow the consumer to do it on their own timetable? Because our own employees are so busy. Right. And ideally we'd like them to be involved in all that stuff too, for to maximize the experience. But we just, we're often short staffed and, and have so many different things going. Yeah. One of the things some of our builders have done is ask us to put together drip campaigns so that, you know, during that waiting period, they're getting, you know, some messages that are saying, you know, here are some things you can be doing. Mm-hmm. You know, here are some things you can be planning, you know, prepare yourself for your design center appointment, you know, all those different things that go on during the process so that they're at least getting some sort of communication while they wait for the ground to break and wait for framing and, you know, wait and wait and wait. But, you know, the lead times are crazy. I had a builder tell me this week that if they um, were getting ready to start a house, then they need to order the windows 18 weeks before they start the house. 18 weeks. What is that? Four months? It's five months. It's too long. It's a long time. I need Excel to help me figure that out. Yeah. Goes back to that calculus, huh? Yeah. No, that's too hard. Yeah. It, 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 but I think we're quickly getting to the point where we're going to have to start leaning back into it. Another interesting discussion. Um, I find it interesting anyway, was a builder who their lead volume is still way beyond where they really needed to be. 
but the lead to appointment ratio has dropped some over mm-hmm. the last couple of weeks. And to, to the point where the sales team is saying, hey, we could take on more appointments. And we had to have the conversation of maybe the qualification questions uh, need or areas need to be relooked at. For example, you know, one of the questions currently is, uh, does your time frame work where we, you know, does the whole situation work for you where we wouldn't be able to start your home for up to 10 months after right. you sign? Well, we don't, we don't necessarily need, we got to figure out some point where, where an online salesperson isn't covering every potential objection before mm-hmm. we set the appointment. And there's definitely been this world that we've been living in where salespeople have, have had the luxury of higher quality appointments than they traditionally would have had from any lead source oh, online, yeah, offline, sure. right? And, and we're going to have to get back to having more human to human conversations, not necessarily in person, but human to human conversations at the sales level to, to work through how to overcome those objections uh, beyond just saying, well, just let online sales kind of like a, a, a check-in right. agent, um, you know, any food allergies today? <laughs> you have any Can allergic reactions to house? 10 months? Check. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have your mortgage application in? Check. Yeah. Yeah. That was the other big thing we were talking about. Like a year and a half ago, a lot of builders were saying, Hey, why don't we just have everyone start their whole process with us at mortgage? <laughs> that's right. the, uh, that's the, the least exciting part of the entire experience. Especially if you haven't picked your one of a kind home that you really can picture as yours and you're going to go talk Mm -hmm. about all the numbers and how expensive it's going to be. So much fun. Time to, time to undo some of that stuff. And I'm, and I'm not, there, there is no universal on how fast and where you need to do that, but you, you do need to start looking at where you're undoing some of that. And and it's okay Mm -hmm. to, to let the sales team interface on some of those potential objections or, or educate some of those things with the customer. If you don't have the appointment volume that, that you'd like to have. Um, on, on the pre-sale without fail part, the, I'll, I'll tell you the thing that I've seen the most is the need to, t- to advertise the community. We used mm-hmm. to say, essentially, as soon as you get that, that piece of dirt secured, put a sign up, get a, get a coming suit on the website. You don't have to run money on advertising, but start building the list. And, Absolutely. And in today's environment, although I, I wonder how quickly that'll change as rates inch higher, we don't need that much runtime. And in fact, you know, the people who can afford or think they can afford that home uh, six months before you go to can market, they're probably not viable by the time you launch the community and you update your starting firm price by another $200,000 anyway. Right. Uh, so for lots of right. reasons, uh, kind of compressing that window of time, saying that we'd rather have, to your point, you know, 150 or 100 highly qualified people who are aware of the current price point and still electing to move forward than to have 800 right, and then go through the sifting process. Well, you've got to think if there's 800 people on your waiting list, they're probably on four other builders' waiting lists too, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I've had some builders use that, you know, two years ago as arguments. We've got 800 people on our, on our waiting list. We don't need to be doing any marketing. I'm like, but who else's list are they on, yeah. you know? The number of times builders <laughs> that we work with and builders that we don't who have reached out to me and said, Kevin, we had 100, 150, 250 people on our list and no one showed up to our event. Right. I'm not, I'm not going to try to catastrophize and make it sound like it's happening every week. It's not. But it's definitely happened four or five times this year. Right. Which is four or five times more than it has happened the last two years. Mm-hmm. And that's because we're confusing uh, the consumer feeling like they have to be on every list if they're somewhat interested 
to having the same level of interest and intent and urgency that they did right before. Yeah, just because they're on your list, it's not a it's not a given sale. It's not a it's not a pre-sale. It's not a contract. It's just oh hey, I might be interested in that. Let's let's see what comes out of the ground. Yeah, and and the pendulum I think is coming in lots of different ways. Some of which we already talked about, but here's another one. I'd I'd love to get your, your take on this. Is I think that home builders are going to have to start going back to creating more leads than we've ever created. And I think we got to get really creative about how that works. Before I sound stupid. We just, we have to give really good reasons for consumers to want to give us at least handfuls of pieces of, of personal information about themselves mm-hmm. in exchange for some, I mean, it happens, we got a pool for the first time ever. And so I go and I'm looking on a retail website for um, a pool lounger or whatever the thing you call that floats in the pool. And, uh, which is all a lie anyway, because when you're in the pool, your kids or your dog are jumping all over you. You're never going to have to lay there <laughs> in the sun. Uh, like, like you want to, but the first thing that hits me is, would you like 15% off and put your email address? Like, of course I want 15% off, but I don't want to give you my email address. Would you like 15% off right now instead of waiting for the next email? Well, then we're going to need your cell phone number so we can text oh you the goodness. promo code. Uh, that, that's almost standard practice on most mm-hmm. retail sites today. Yep. As home building companies, we are not going to give up 15% in exchange for that, but we've got to find out something uh, where we're going to create more leads that aren't aren't really leads. I would say we're, we're, we're giving ourselves the right to listen to what they mm-hmm. do and, and be aware that they are truly out there researching. And when they switch from the research phase to the shopping phase and come back and raise their hand again, then, then mm-hmm. we'll start counting them for real. But we're going to need better ways to listen and observe what the consumer is doing. You are absolutely right. And that gets back to that whole buy online. And you look at how you know, the brick and mortar was able to kind of meld brick and mortar and e-commerce together with, you know, order it online, but pick it up in the store. And you still look at how, you know, discombobulated our sales process is between, you know, that online conversation with the website, you know, maybe, maybe you're putting a deposit down on a lot, maybe you're, you know, maybe you're not, but, but if you do put a deposit down on the lot, does the on-site team know that, or are they turning around and offering that lot to somebody else who's walked in the door? So, you know, there's just a, a lot to that as well, that we've got to get zipped up as we go into this. Oh, you new... just, you just wound me up and, oh. and I'm about ready to go off. Cause here's my new uh, kind of buy online analogy that just drives me nuts. Chipotle. I cannot, I, I swear I'm not going to a Chipotle for at least another month just to show them who's boss here. <laughs> you know, I understand the pivot to all things mobile ordering and, and the door dashes and the Uber Eats and everything else. And so at Chipotle, what, they, what they've done is they took away, I'm not even sure, you know, there's the main line when you're standing in line where the food is. And then there's a, a turn in the L that goes back and they've created a mini line that is just for to-go orders. And so in that mini line, just for to-go orders, is this all the same things, the rice, the beans, the chicken, Mm -hmm. whatever. And the next time you're in Chipotle, just watch this happen, where they will run out of something. In my case, it was rice. There was no rice in the Chipotle store for 10 minutes. The line just keeps getting longer. Everyone's standing there waiting. In the meantime, they keep replacing the rice bin multiple times in the to-go order. Uh-huh. Because if you're thinking about one, those companies are charging more for the for the convenience of to go. Right. Yep. Uh, then they're oftentimes getting kickbacks or paid from the DoorDash's success. So there's, it's a better money making machine. 
but they're making their their in-person process completely suck as a result. And it's almost right. like they're telling you. I mean, it started, and I don't even order quesadillas, but that's my other f- most favorite thing to do now. Uh, well, I'm not going to be there for a while, but go to Chipotle, stand in line and ask for a quesadilla or two and just listen to them tell you the insanity of, I'm sorry, we only allow quesadillas to be ordered from the mobile app now. What? Yeah. So yeah, th- that's what I'm talking about is take all of that and package it up and throw it at what, what home, you know, the buy online process, um, could slash does look like right now. And it's, it's kind of that, that dumb in a lot of cases of, of how we're thinking about this. Any one success is just that. I think it was Myers Barnes. Like Kevin, you have success at a company or in your career in one place, hold a lightning, lightning strikes all over the place, kind of randomly. If you can have success at two companies, now we're now we're talking three companies hands down. Uh, it's a good it's a good possibility that that you're the difference maker there, <laughs> and and it's kind of the same thing of the only companies where I've seen and heard multiple stories of buy online online uh, sales success like that is where both the customer and the employees have to use the same process for selling. Yeah. So. But is that really buy online that we're thinking about when we're, when we're talking about it collectively is I walk in, Carol is my salesperson and I want to buy the home. And so then Carol, you say, great, Kevin, well, now let's do the paperwork. And you pull up your website and you right. walk me through pushing the buttons because you're no longer allowed to do it the old fashioned way. All sales must go through that online process. That's right. Any one single process requirement. Well, it's people just, want choice. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I thought you were going to go down there. Isn't it Chipotle that decided to launch a site in the metaverse where you could make your... Oh, yes. Was, uh, who was uh, that? So when, you could Wendy's make your, is there also, yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, so you can make this food and get all hungry, but you, you can't eat it because it's not a real place. I mean... I thought the genius would t- be that you could go through the experience, which feels yeah. like Blockbuster saying people enjoy going to our stores, so we don't need to create Netflix a little bit to me. <laughs> But if you could go in the metaverse, stand in a in a virtual line and actually tell the the person on the other end how much rice and beans and go through the process virtually and then that submitted an order for you to go physically yes. pick up, that'd be kind of cool. Well, kind maybe of. they'll listen maybe they'll listen to this and get that and realize they need to do something yeah, that no, you know. I, just the idea that that to think that companies aren't going to naturally without and this is why I think uh, marketing is such an important role and why the marketing technologist is such an important role in all this is the natural inclination of any business is going to prioritize the higher margin, easier parts of the business to want to see that grow. And and we have to be careful as we make these transitions and growth areas into buy online that no one is getting left behind, lost, Mm -hmm. confused, or, you know, tortured to the extent that, that, all of us, not all of us, and I, that's a bad industry joke. You know, if you ask our customers, they're like, what is, what does the home building industry do best? Torture us. <laughs> <laughs> not even home building, just real estate in general. They like to torture yeah. us. It's a, it, it is, it is a wild, wild place to be. Absolutely. But a fun place to be. Yeah. And I, I think you'll, you'll agree on this and this is probably a good, good place to, to wrap up is one of the best parts to me about the great recession was knowing knowing who the difference makers were, mm-hmm. whether it was a partner, an outside partner, um, like a denim or do you convert that was helping or an employee, but you put in a certain amount of effort. And if that effort was smartly applied, 
you kind of went home knowing, wow, like I, I moved the ball uphill today. Right. And I think that, that, um, that ability to see the rewards of your, of your effort is something that a lot of people have expressed to me, uh, one-on-one that they kind of miss. They're like, I, I still think I'm good at my job. I just don't have a way to prove it like I used to mm. when I go home at the end of the day or the end of the week. Like nothing's broken, nothing's getting worse, but I don't have that same sense of solving uh, interesting. problems or having the, having the same agency that maybe they used to have um, over, their, over their role. Right. You know, I guess, I guess for me, if you look at, you know, the COVID and the changes that have helped, you know, happened in the last couple of years, I mean, golly, two years ago when everything first started, talk about a sense of helping people. I feel like we wrote and rewrote and rewrote and rewrote and rewrote content, you know, whether we were open, closed, virtual, you know, whatever. Right. Yeah. But it was a fire drill. Right. (laughs) So I don't miss that part of it, even if, but I guess I would argue, you know, and I, I would think whether you're in sales or marketing, and to me, the reward is at the end of the month when we pull those month over month and year over year reports and we see what's happening and we see those metrics and then we can equate those to sales or, I, you know, I guess for me, the PR, you know, media relations, I'm, I'm always looking for the thrill, the chase and that score. So every right. time I score a big story, I'm like, yay, you know, go did them score. And, and I love it because, you know, our Clients will literally, you know, email us. Oh, thank you so much. You know, we got calls from that and deals from that. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, before we go too, I want to make sure everyone knows where to go um, hear more of Carol and and you've got a podcast. You guys have uh, a um, live stream. Uh, that you put on regular? All sorts of different things. So yeah. people can find me. I'll just give the spiel. So you can always go to denimmarketing.com and we are Denim Marketing on all social media sites. And then I am C Morgan at denimmarketing.com is my email. Kimberly Mackey and I host Sales and Marketing Power Hour. It's every other month on Wednesdays. We moved it to hump day. So you can always find some fun industry experts there. Um, We have a good time with that. And then I'm the host of Atlanta Real Estate Forum Radio, which is a podcast. Is that the longest now run? Like probably it's got to be the longest running real estate specific podcast in a, in a particular market. Anyway. Yeah. We're about to hit, I think we're coming up on a thousand one hundred or a thousand one hundredth episode. So wow. yeah, we've been on air since October of 2011. So that's incredible. It's a fun, fun, fun show. And I really, you know, we used to always do it in studio, but courtesy of COVID, we now record over zoom, which has really opened a lot of doors because mm-hmm. it's a very Atlantis you know, centered podcast, but I've been able to branch out a little bit and, you know, bring some other people on the show that I wouldn't have been able to do in the past. So that's been fun. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Great. Yeah. We'll, we'll have links to all that stuff in the show notes as well. Be sure to connect with Carol, uh, check out, check out the team at Denim. And uh, thanks again for coming on. We really appreciate yeah, it. Absolutely. Well, I, you know, one last question. I think oh, yeah. I get a last question. Oh, absolutely. So what, I love it. What is, I love, what okay. is your favorite um, denim item to wear? Ooh, I, uh, I, I'm going to go with the easy one, which is jeans. Now, uh, my wife always says TMA. Yeah, I, I, I just I like to let people know who I am. I don't. I'm not. I'm not afraid of it. I, judge me all you like. I only now buy my jeans from Buckle. Uh huh. Okay. And in particular, the Jake fit. I still do the. I think it's a, a completely out of date. A skinny jeans just aren't. It's not going to work for me. So I do. I do boot cut. Um, Jake jeans from Buckle. Yeah. There you go. See, and I knew your answer wouldn't just be jeans. It would be more elaborate. So good yeah, stuff. Yeah, I, I, they're not the fanciest of jeans. They're not, uh, you know, the Levi's that you buy at Kohl's. They're, they're 
$20 more a pair. <laughs> <laughs> well, they just make me, they, uh, I like them. And, and honestly, that's all, I don't think I own a pair of slacks anymore. Oh, wow. Like dress pants. I have suits mm-hmm. too, but that's it. Otherwise it's jeans or shorts. Jeans or shorts. There you go. <laughs> right. <laughs> now you know everyone. Now uh, I everyone think I, knows. On. I do have a sound effect for that. Hold on. Uh... <laughs> Carol, thanks again. We'll have you on. Thank again you. Soon. It was fun. Bye. Marketproof Marketing is proudly supported by Open Door. Visit opendoor.com forward slash do you convert to learn how you can partner with Open Door to increase certainty, speed, and ease for your home buyers. All opinions expressed by me, Andrew Peek, Jackie Lipinski, and our castmates are solely our own opinions. View hundreds of articles, videos, and more for free at doyouconvert.com. It's also the best way to find out how to connect with us on social networks or in real life. Now get to work and make sure your company is market proof.